Welcome, friends. On this podcast, we talk about a lot of things, mostly prayer, but also spiritual warfare. Sometimes we venture into the subjects of parenting adult kids and what it's like to be a Christian in an increasingly post-Christian world. This is the place where I share interviews with people whose lives have greatly influenced mine and some people that I just think are so cool and I want to share what they have to say with you. These people are authors, they're ministry leaders, they're people who've experienced answers to their prayers. And some of them are just as baffled as I am that God's ways are not the same as ours. But all of them who can gladly shout, no matter what you're facing, God's got this. I'm Leanne McCoy, and this is my podcast. Today, I'm talking with a friend and member of our church in Thompson Station, Tennessee. Rick Nelson has a PhD in evangelism. We've known each other for years, but just recently got to have this fun conversation triggered by a blog I posted a few weeks ago titled, Is God's Grace Irresistible? As part of this conversation, Rick reached out to me to let me know that he'd done a bit of research on this subject. His PhD dissertation is entitled, The Relationship Between Soteriology and Evangelistic Methodology in Ministries in the Ministries of Asahel, Asahel Nettleton, and Charles Fanny. That's a great big title of a dissertation. But basically what Rick was doing was comparing the long-term success of Nettleton's gospel presentation with Finney's. And you may not know this, but Charles Finney was the first person to offer what is today called, what we call a come down invitation or a public response to the gospel presentation. I'm so glad that my blog post triggered this conversation and I know you're going to love it. Started. Today, I am so excited to have my friend Rick Nelson with me, and he's a member of our church at Thompson Station. And um, let me just give you a quick bio on Rick, because I'm learning things about you I didn't know before we had this conversation. But Rick is a doctor in um, a PhD, right? Uh-huh. PhD. And he is the only child of his mom and dad, John and Martha Nelson. He had his education at Oak Ridge High School. So you grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. That's right. Ah, went to Carson Newman University and then Southwestern. But you were not there at the same time Tom and I were there. I think I was there before and after. Oh, my goodness. So you sandwiched <laughs> us. Tom and I got in and out, lickety split. We did not linger. But you came and then had to come back. That's it right. sounds like that's great. You've also taught at Southwestern Seminary at Criswell College and Columbia State Community College, which is right here in our community, as an adjunct instructor of evangelism and philosophy. You've pastored churches in Texas, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. What part of South Carolina? Florence. Florence, South Carolina. I was I was born in Union, South Carolina. Yeah. Do you know where that is? I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, you you wrote your Oh, you summarized your dissertation in an article that is entitled, How Does Doctrine Affect Evangelism? in the Founders Journal. 
And then you and your wife, Sandy, of course, are members mm -hmm. here at Thompson Station Church. You sing in the worship choir. And you also lead in the Iron Men Fellowship Group that meets in our hangar on Wednesday nights. And your PhD was in 1997. It's entitled, okay, I want to get this title right. The Relationship Between Soteriology and Evangelistic Methodology in the Ministries of, I don't know if his name, Asahel? Asahel. Asahel Nettleton and Charles G. Finney. And then your PhD major was evangelism with minors in New Testament and preaching. That's right. Good heavens, we are in, I feel like I should be wearing like, you know, a cap and gown while I'm talking to you. We're in educated land, but Rick, I'm so excited to have you on the so podcast today. Thank you for joining, for joining us. And we're going to jump in by talking about, well, first I want to tell our listeners that the way Rick and I got connected is in just the past month or so, I wrote a blog post um, asking, is God's grace irresistible? And we're going to move into talking about that a little bit towards as a part of this conversation. And when I did that, Rick reached out to me and let me know that he had written a dissertation where he had um, dealt with this very thing. And at the time, I wasn't even thinking about the whole Calvinism, Arminianism. I was just thinking about grace. You know, when I'm praying for somebody and if God comes to them with his grace, is it irresistible? You know, we sing a lot of songs about it and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's how we got first connected. And then when he shared with me that he had written this dissertation where he had studied this very thing, I was like, we have got to get on a podcast and talk about this. So I'm so excited to have the conversation. And first of all, I'd love for you to tell us about your dissertation and um, kind of what made you choose this subject. And then you can, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things you discovered as you were researching it. Okay. Um, well, I had Dr. Roy Fish for a class on history of spiritual awakenings and had to write a paper. Mm -hmm. I chose to write a paper on um, how Charles Spurgeon gave invitations. I found out he didn't. Charles Spurgeon didn't give invitations. No. Okay. I didn't and even that, know that. That blew my mind. Okay. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we're going to dig into this to see what's going on. What Spurgeon would do is kind of like what we did this past weekend. Uh -huh. He would ask his people, let the visitors come on Sunday morning, and he would have his people lining the auditorium watching. Okay. Anyone who seemed to be particularly moved by the message, they would get an invitation to come back on Tuesday afternoon. Huh. Every Tuesday afternoon, they would be lined around the block come in and counsel with deacons, ministers, oh, and lay wow. leaders in the church. Huh. And when somebody asked Spurgeon why he did that, he said, well, if they're under conviction on Sunday, God is not only going to spare them, they'll still be convicted on Tuesday. And when they come in to talk to us, they'll be ready to talk. Wow. And, you know, the church grew by leaps and bounds, and God blessed his ministry wow. tremendously uh -huh. without him doing Right. The public invitation as it was being done in America at the time, uh, particularly by people like Finney, because they were contemporaries. Mm -hmm. So that fascinated me. And I got to thinking, what in the world, how does what I believe about salvation affect my methodology mm -hmm. and how I try to reach people? Mm -hmm. And I started looking. Um, Finney, of course, was an easy choice for the more Arminian side. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to settle on Nettleton. 
-hmm. But as I dug through, I found, okay, this is a guy who is, this is pure, strong, grace person. He's not emotional. He's not manipulative. He's just, here's the truth. You deal with the truth. Okay. So as that came together, I was thinking about the context of the Southern Baptist Convention. At that time, we had, we said 14 million Mm-hmm. Southern Baptists, we couldn't find half of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I right. thought something's not adding up uh-huh. in the way that we do evangelism. We had uh-huh. kind of gone with Finney yeah. on our methodology. Uh-huh. So yeah. should somebody look into this right. and, and see what happened? I remember when I turned in the dissertation, uh, Dr. Malcolm McDowell said, hmm. I could not disagree more with your conclusions, but you wrote so well. I have to commend you and give you high marks on the dissertation. Okay. Because basically what I had done was kind of lit a fire to the way we're doing things and and just said, Hey, shouldn't we rethink this a little bit and make sure that we're being true to scripture? Right. So that's kind of how it came about. I love it. Well, tell me um, just for, the sake of people that may not be real familiar with the Arminianism versus Calvinism, how you would describe, <clears throat> excuse me, the differences between Nettleton and Finney, not just their methods of what they were doing, but their, what was their thought behind it? Yeah. Uh, generally, the way I define it is Arminianism puts man in control of salvation. Okay. You hear you choose, you decide. Mm-hmm. Now to follow that to its ultimate conclusion, you have to go with our Pentecostal friends and say you can also lose. Mm-hmm. If you choose, you can lose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, mm-hmm. if God is in control of salvation, if I'm not the one who is ultimately making the offer of salvation, making the plan of salvation and making the choice, mm-hmm. it is a choice that is being orchestrated by God. Yes. I can't lose my salvation because I personally accept in what God gave me the power to respond to him with. I didn't have anything to do with it. Uh-huh. So the focus yes. for Nettleton, for Calvinism in general, would be on grace. Yeah. The focus on the other side would be man, his free will, and his choice. Okay. Okay. And so therefore, Finney's methods would be um fashioned toward understanding that man has a significant piece of this and so he would naturally believe then the more convincing that i can be the more likely they are to receive okay he was lawyer by trade oh yeah and he used that as he uh, did evangelism Mm -hmm. he would find someone who seemed to be under conviction and would bring them to what he called the anxious box. Oh, the anxious box. Okay. Yeah. And it basically it's a seat in the front of the auditorium and he would interrogate them. Wow. As a spiritual prosecutor, interrogate them and, and, you know, basically bring them with a strong emotional pressure to a point of decision. Okay. The it's- only problem with that is anything someone can argue you into Right. You can also be argued out. Right. Of yeah. And unfortunately, that's what happened with mm-hmm. a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. And that's funny because I do remember just Sunday when, of course, it be an Easter Sunday where mm-hmm. we're recording this a few days after Easter. I did hear Tom say, um, 
I'm not here to talk you into anything because if I can talk you into it, somebody else can talk you out of it. Exactly. And so he's reflecting some of that, some of that thought and what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then on the other side, Nettleton, if he believes that God is the one who, you know, back to my blog is grace is irresistible. And so God, when God brings it, God also brings the, the, the heart connection to receive it. That's how mm-hmm. I've, you know, we, we talk about our own salvation and we think about that moment. For me, it was a moment in time. It was a culmination of a lot of, of um, exposure to the gospel, but it was a moment in time when suddenly I said that magical or well, <laughs> miraculous journey from my head to my heart mm-hmm. connected because my head had been believing for a long time but my heart just wasn't engaged with it. It was disconnected. And as much as I try to explain what that was, I really don't think that was something that I made happen. Exactly. It happened to me mm-hmm. and I, and I received it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it, how it was. Yeah. And so that would be more of this understanding of mm-hmm. salvation comes through Christ alone. Like exactly. he brings it. And we have a lot of scriptural support for that. Yes. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of our primary seminal texts for salvation, um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Yes. He's referring to that faith. It is the gift of Of God. God. It's a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes. So even the grace that allows me to respond to God is a gift from God. Yeah. Therefore, he gets all the glory for salvation. That's right. That's right. That's the whole idea. Right. That is. So with the biggest difference with Nettleton is you wouldn't have the emotionalism. You wouldn't have the pressure. Okay. You know, let's pray for God to move. Let's meet. Let's preach the word. Mm-hmm. Let's deal with those that respond. Mm-hmm. Because in that case, they're not given an opportunity. Right. It's like they have to come to you and say, hey, that touched me. I need to talk to somebody. Mm. And they would deal with it. Their fruit in those ministries actually lasted longer than the fruit from Finney. Finney, in the end of his life, regretted greatly how he had done evangelism. Oh. And said, I have actually not served the Savior as well as I wanted to mm. because I relied too much on being a lawyer and pressuring people and arguing people into salvation and because I was too involved, it didn't stick. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then Nettleton on the other side, his who, the people who made professions of faith as a connected to his ministry, for, more of them were many, walking. Many yeah. Them. So you were able to crunch numbers on this when you did your mm-hmm. dissertation. There was data mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. were able to find. That's mm-hmm. very interesting. That's good. But that also makes me think as you're talking about how we approach church work in general, Mm -hmm. like um, if we work, let's see, what is it? Another thing Tom has said through the years is work as if it depends on me, Mm -hmm. pray as if it depends on God. Yes, absolutely. And there has to be like if we're working and in fact, when you look around, it, it is seems sometimes like many churches are approaching the work as if it really does all depend on us. And because that's such a heavy burden, we don't have time to pray. 
We don't, we think, well, that I don't have time for that. I'm too busy working and nothing could exactly. be further from the truth. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, you don't just sit around and pray and not work because when we work that, because the rest of the Ephesians to eight, what is it? Nine and 10 then mm -hmm. say, but then you're going to fulfill the That's good right. work God prepared for you That's to right. do ahead of time, right. but it's all having it in the proper perspective. Right. You are his employment. You're, you are his workmanship. Yeah. You're his work of art. Yeah. So he gives the grace. Yes. So you can be saved. So he can give himself glory. Yes. Through the way it's lived out in your life. Yeah. That's and so the work still happens yes. and we still put our hand to the plow, so Absolutely. to say, but we do it in a way that we are filled with the spirit of God and the, and the grace of God sure. that's going through. And one of the things we practice in our staff is every Tuesday morning we pray and we're recording this on a Tuesday right after we got done praying, but we are always mindful for that 30 minute period of time that we're all together praying. Mm -hmm. One of our main things is um, when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And we know that when we're yielding it to the Lord, then he's breathing into this more than our hands could ever do. And so it's not that we get up after we pray and say, okay, well, we can all go home now because we've done our praying. It's not like that. It's that when we then put our hands to work, we are trusting and believing and, and looking for God. And so today we actually spent the whole 30 minutes going around the circle with every person praying a prayer of thanksgiving of something they observed happening this weekend that was only god mm -hmm. like what we knew we didn't do right and it Absolutely. was such a powerful time of prayer yeah. and that's the that's the putting it in the exactly. in the perspective there that's exactly. good that's good well i want to know um so you've already talked about the some of the aha moments, were there any others that you were like finding out that Spurgeon didn't even do a, an invitation like we do. Mm -hmm. And then you found out that Nettleton's, um, mm -hmm. well, just the proof was in the pudding kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. later on, right. there was more stick to itness. Was there anything else that was no, those, surprising? Those, those mm -hmm. were the biggest. Ones. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, why do you suppose this has been, you know, one of the things that we, um, you can get in heated arguments. I remember being in a group of, <laughs> of very godly people um, at somebody's house in a casual setting, getting on this subject of which is it, you know, are we Calvinist? Are we Arminian? Now, you know, is it all God or is it, is it the free will of man? Mm -hmm. So what keeps this such a contentious uh, um, subject for all of us? Truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. Yeah. Pride. Pride. Pure and simple. Yeah. Americans look at salvation the way they look at public life. Yeah. I have a right. Mm. I have a right to respond to God how I want to. Mm. I can determine all of that stuff. That's mm. the general thought process mm. that you will find among the people of our nation. That's why when this conversation comes up, it's oh well, well. People get puffed up. They want to argue. They want to fuss. They mm -hmm. want to be distinctively unchristian mm -hmm. when they talk about a subject like <laughs> salvation, which is, you know, salvation's not a democracy. Right. It's a theocracy. Yes. It's God working his plan in our lives. He's the prime mover. He's behind the scenes. He's the one mm -hmm. that does all that. And, and I think it, it hurts our pride to say, you know, I, 
really can't make myself what I want to be. Yeah. I don't have the ability to. Mm -hmm. I can't fix my heart. I can't change my circumstances. Mm -hmm. But I can respond to God. Yeah. He gives me that grace. Yeah. So I think it's pride more than anything else that causes the problem. Um, mm -hmm. For my point, from my side of it, I don't talk about the tulip. I don't talk mm -hmm. about Calvin. Mm -hmm. That's not my thing. Mm -hmm. My thing is, this is a, a work of God. Mm -hmm. And if salvation is God's work, then I need, need to be very reverent in how I deal with it. But I need to be distinctively biblical right. in how I deal with it. Because your question, is grace irresistible, is one of the four points of the tulip. Yes. It's the fourth out of five. Right. That's what grace. I discovered after I yeah. asked the question. I was like, oh, okay. You're right. So, and that one, you won't get a lot of disagreement on among mm -hmm. folks who move toward Calvinism. Uh -huh. Probably the biggest difficulty that people would have is in shaping and molding these arguments. Sometimes we move away from scripture. Mm -hmm. My biggest issue with this five point Calvinism stuff would be the L limited atonement. Hmm. I'm just not there. Right. Right. Jesus died so that anyone could yes. be saved. Yes. Right. That's where I am. So they're yeah. not, they're not getting me past 80% for anything. Okay. Very good. Yeah. But that's not the key. Uh-huh. The key is what does the scripture say? Uh-huh. I don't care what Calvin said. I don't uh -huh. care what Arminius said. I don't care what Middleton and Finney right. said. What What's is God's thus saith the Lord? Right. And that's that's where I want to come down. Yeah. Where do you anchor in the in the scripture, like some of your main <laughs> basis of that? Oh goodness. Um we just talked about Ephesians two, eight and nine. Yeah. Um one that I I was going to bring up later, but I I think it's it's kind of hit at this point. Okay. So in Romans nine, Paul's great theological treatise, he's about to turn the corner and get practical. But before he does, he takes some time in in chapter nine to talk about how much he loves his Jewish brethren. Okay. And he says, "I wish I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren." He said, I'd give up my salvation for them mm. if I could. Mm -hmm. And then he comes down to talk about Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm. And he says, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Mm. So mm -hmm. a choice being made by God. And then you flip the page. Mm -hmm. And in chapter 10, he says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mm -hmm. and here's, uh -huh. here's my key. Okay. Wisdom says, let the tension stay. Okay. I can't say God didn't mean Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Mm -hmm. And whoever. whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved if he didn't intend for the tension mm. to stay there. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Mm -hmm. That's not my side of salvation. Election is not my side. Right. That's God's problem. 
Yeah. That's not me. That's good. I can't respond to that. I can't do anything about that. I have no power and no understanding. That's good. That's good. All I can do is work on the man side. Right. So on the man side, I have to present the gospel clearly. Mm-hmm. I have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I have to be bathed in prayer. Mm-hmm. And I have to make sure that my methodology gives God room to do his work. That's good. That's good. That's the key. Right. Now, look back over the last 34 and a half years. How have we done evangelism here? Yeah. In all different, well, in all different ways, honestly. But we have, we have been very intentional about sharing the gospel in a way that it can be understood, or mm-hmm. we've tried to be. Mm-hmm. And we've taken very seriously our role to, um, to go, not just sit back mm-hmm. and wait for people to come. That's another piece and we've that we've bathed taken it in prayer. We've bathed it in we've prayer. We've stayed with the truth. That's right. And we're not manipulative here. Right. Right. Yeah. We're just, we're just not that way. Mm-mm. I mean, we actually, we you know, we're sitting in the room where. Yeah, where the work where, happens. <laughs> where, where we invite people to come. Right. That's right. You know, if God has touched you. And you go and go, talk with Go them. immediately right. out to the left, mm-hmm. turn to the prayer clinic, somebody and can help you And we're there to there. help you. That's and then right. you have people ready, That's trained right. counselors. And you know what? Even our pastors, our pastors, our, my, just for the sake of you guys listening, uh, Rick knows this, but my husband, who's been the pastor here for 34 and a half years, is in this year transitioning. He'll become the founding pastor next year, and our new pastor, Sam, will be the leading pastor. So this year it feels like we have two pastors. Is why I'm saying that. And both of them acknowledge, I've heard them do that, even when they come here for prayer, sometimes prior to preaching, well, that I'm just here as a vessel to deliver what God's given me to say. It's uh, it, God will do the moving in the hearts of the people. And I think it's a mindset and a heart set that we have when we um, are being true with integrity to the scripture I've been doing, I talked to you briefly the other day about this, but I'll say it on the podcast, participating in a study of Luke chapter 15, which is uh, Jesus telling the parables of the lost sheep, the coin, and then the son. Mm -hmm. And I did not in this deep dive into study. What I've discovered is I knew already he was talking to the scribes and the Pharisees because they were the ones who came to him, criticizing him for hanging out with the quote sinners, you Mm -hmm. know, the people that were not, Right. right with God. And in response to him saying that, he then used these three parables to explain God's definition of repentance, truly. Mm-hmm. That's what was being taught mm-hmm. at the study the other night. And I was going, okay, let me, that was just not, I thought it, the parables were explaining what it meant to be lost and then found, <clears throat> which ironically enough, <clears throat> is God's definition of repentance. (laughs) You're lost and I'm going to find you, Mm -hmm. you know, and the emphasis being like what you're talking about in salvation, the emphasis is on what God is doing, not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We literally just receive the finding that God brought to us. And I, I know that's probably one of the best ways to describe what happened to me when I was 11 years old. And, and that, that miraculous journey from my head to my heart happened it was an emotional connecting to how God, like the good shepherd, came after the one sheep exactly. and found me. And I was humbled to be found in the same way the son, when he came back to the father, 
He came because he was hungry, not because he was repentant. <laughs> and the father then received him with great honor. And then the humility that the son had in receiving that was the being found. And the interesting Absolutely. thing about those three parables is, and it, it is very applicable to the church today because Jesus is challenging the religious leaders and he's explaining, this is who I am and what I do. And, and he's not saying it, but we can surmise it. He's saying, it's not what you think it is because what the leaders were saying is those guys got to get their act together and right. then they're acceptable to us. Right. And that's in a way we kind of done that too. I know that you've been Southern Baptist for a long time. And I remember at the front of every one of our printed pieces that we have to go along with our Bible studies and Sunday school on Sunday morning had the ABCs of salvation, right? Accept okay. that you're a sinner believe that Jesus came to save you and confess. So it was admit, believe, confess, or accept, believe, confess. Mm -hmm. And it was all the steps were on what I did. Like I had to do this. I need to go through step one, two, and three. And it does make me wonder the one place I think about it a lot as I was studying this Luke chapter 15, we've made it a little more methodological, I guess, you know, <laughs> instead of, I think it being an encounter with God, we've put it into a step-by-step -step formula. And yeah. I'm not, I'm, I may be being real heretical here saying no, this, but I'm not even sure that's the, the best way to do it. And so I, I, and I think about, I guess the one place that I turned around thinking about was Bible school mm -hmm. and how, when we have hundreds of children, thousands at this church, but hundreds coming through and, and many adults give the testimony that they accepted Jesus as their savior when they were a child at Bible school. So I'm totally pro Bible school, mm -hmm. but I also think about how many hundreds of those children did do that and maybe even were baptized, but then as adults, it doesn't matter, not one iota to them. Mm -hmm. And it could have been because it just, you know, they did their part, but they weren't really understanding what was going on? I mean, what is your thoughts about that? Actually, that's my story. Oh, good. Tell us. Um, I made a profession of faith as a nine-year-old. Uh huh. Uh, Mom and Dad and I were watching an Alfred Hitchcock movie, <laughs> and it scared me to death. So, you know, being a being a young Baptist, I've been held over hell many times <laughs> in church. So, I said, uh, I'm scared to die. Yeah. And and my dad was glad to lead me yeah. through a prayer for salvation. And uh, then after seminary, the first time, third church, I invited um pastor of my home church to come over and preach revival. So he gets up one night, opens his Bible with the parable of wheat and tares, and the most miserable 30 minutes of my life begins. Mm. Because God begins peeling back layers. Mm and dealing with me in a way he had never dealt with me before. Mm. I mean, I'm sitting there arguing with God while the preacher's preaching. No, I can't be lost. I am the pastor. <laughs> oh, gosh, my goodness. And, and just having the dreaded sense, this is your night. It's time mm. for you to settle this. It's time for you to deal with this. Yes. It's, you know, been way, way, way back there mm -hmm. for a long time. And you have mm -hmm. the questions, but you wouldn't deal with it because of pride. And that wow. night, he brought a whole of that to a head. 
So I stood up, tried to give the invitation. <laughs> I, <couldn't. laughs> I mean, the, the evangelist is up behind the pulpit. I'm standing there waiting to receive people. Oh my goodness. I said, so what am I supposed to do? He said, there's a pew, kneel. I said, but I'm giving the invitation. <laughs> he said, kneel. So I get down. I start, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've come to this place. Please come into my life. I'm so sorry I got all this out of, out of the right order. Please oh. forgive me. I feel a hand on my shoulder. I look up. It's one of my deacons. Oh. Preacher, help me. I'm lost. Your I, deacon was saying yeah. that. Oh, my I said, goodness. I said, okay. You just so... Lester and I began to pray together. I gave him the prayer phrase at a time and we prayed together. And when I got up, I was saved. It was different. <laughs> Everything was different. Mm. The The turmoil that had been there while the pastor was preaching was gone. Mm. There was peace. Yeah. But then reality hit me and I thought, I believe I'm unemployed now. I better, <laughs> I better go get some help. <laughs> so I went up and... and uh, and, you know, I told everybody to keep playing the music. I said, uh, Brother Steve, we've got a problem. I said, uh, I just got saved. <laughs> he said, praise the Lord. Now I know why I was sent here. This happened when I was preaching revival for my brother-in-law. I know exactly what to do. All you have to do is nod in the next few minutes. When I point for you to nod, you nod. I'll handle everything. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> so, so he says, folks, how many of y'all? would rather have a saved preacher than a lost preacher. Well, they raise their hands with enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got some wonderful news. Brother Rick just fell under the conviction of God and he just got saved. How many of y'all would love for him to continue being your pastor because he's more qualified now than he ever was? <laughs> you know, they raise their hand. I love when you talk about a sigh of relief. Yeah, right. On, on, two, on two different fronts. <laughs> oh, I, my goodness. I, I had bills to pay. Oh. So he... Uh, at that point, flips it back to the congregation and said, okay, now, who else? Mm. Who else needs to do the same thing? And he opened the invitation and we had, um, there were seven other people besides Lester and myself. Wow. That night that received Christ. Wow. And he said, uh, he said, now we're going to have a baptism tomorrow night. And he said, the way we'll handle it is I'll baptize Rick and then he'll baptize the rest. Mm. And then I thought, well, I've got to get mama here. Mm -hmm. Well, mama had a stroke. She's in a little motorized wheelchair. Yeah. And I went over to her house the next day and said, uh, mama, we need to talk. Uh -huh. So I need you to come to church tomorrow night, tonight. Well, yeah. that's too much trouble. I said, not if it's for my baptism. Uh -huh. And you know, that look yeah. that only a mom can give you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she gave me that look and I said, uh, I said, yes, ma'am. I said, mm. I received Jesus last night. I'm absolutely certain of it now. And I want you to be there because you were the first person that ever told me about it. I love that. Yeah. She mm. said, honey, I was there the first time and I I'm very certain about what happened. I said, yeah. I was too, mom, but I wasn't certain. Right. I had to nail that down. Yeah. She said, well, then I'll come. Mm. And life's never been the same. Wow. And the difference, 
And I'll actually be speaking to the guys in the hangar in a couple of weeks about this. The difference was that whereas before I had it in my head, mm-hmm. now I had it come to my heart. That's right. That 18 inch difference yeah. made all the difference. Yeah. There was a hunger. Mm-hmm. I mean, a hunger to know the word. Mm-hmm. obey the Lord, mm-hmm. tell people about him, serve him, and get it right from the heart. Yeah, They had never been there before. Yeah. And you didn't understand why, why these people talk about something. I'm not really uh-huh. experiencing it to that level. Uh-huh. And we've got to get this fixed. Yeah. So for me, it was that same John mm-hmm. chapter 6. No man can come to me except the Father who sent me. Yeah. Yeah. Twice in John chapter 6, Jesus makes a statement like that after he says, I'm the bread of life. Yeah. Anybody can have it. All right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'm what you need, but you can't come until I have done my work first. Wow. And none of us know why God does this work the way he does it. And we don't have to know. That's part of your understanding. Exactly. That's his part, not our part. And that's why right. That's why I lean to his sovereignty. Yes. I don't trust me with my salvation. Right. I trust him well, this, with my salvation. And then this also lends our conversation to move toward talking about this vast deconstruction of faith that's gone on yes. amongst young people. Yes. Because as you're talking about this, and you know, we led into this talking about all the little children that make those decisions at Bible school and you being one of those children and then coming around. And I couldn't help the whole time you're talking, thinking there are thousands of people in churches, probably even that are defying the odds going to church every Sunday that, that need to hear that story and your story. Mm-hmm. But as a parent of people that are deconstructing their faith and there's that's I know mm-hmm. I gather a big audience from that because we're all in this same boat together. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love for us to me hearing you talk about this. And I it is, you know, I get in trouble as a parent saying what happened or didn't happen in my children's spiritual life. And I don't know. I don't know that's between them and the Lord. Mm-hmm. But just hearing that salvation belongs to the Lord and when he calls, he also gives us the grace to respond. It That gives me a lot of encouragement in praying for Absolutely. my children. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot more than I would have if I felt like, well, God's God's just as anxious as I am about where you are right now. So talk to us. Give me some coaching on that a little bit as a parent. (laughs) Um, I think that everybody at some point in their lives, you know, we use the word deconstruction. Yeah. I would prefer the word reconstruction. Uh Uh-huh. I like that. I think people look at where they are. They're not satisfied and some move back and say, I need to rebuild my foundation. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to rebuild the foundation because the foundation, if it's going to be solid, is going to be God is God. I'm not. This is his work. Right. And I start. I have to come back to that. Yeah. So I think rebuilding the foundation, a lot of it is encouraging our children to understand the truthfulness of scripture, uh-huh. praying for God to reveal that to them yes, and make it clear because 
once you have that foundation, you can rebuild. Uh huh. You can rebuild very successfully. Mm. There are a lot of things that I believed when I went to Carson Newman College, they got challenged. Yes. I mean, they, they tore it down. But the good thing is, it took me back mm-hmm. to the same childlike trust in scripture mm-hmm. that I had had all the way through. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that never wavered in my life. And I'm very grateful for it. Yes. So I think that's one thing we need to pray that our children would be reoriented to the truthfulness of scripture and the firmness of the foundation that they have. Mm-hmm. I think on the other side of it, we need to be very honest with them mm-hmm. and say, look, sometimes I don't understand why that's happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm these shootings we've had recently. Right. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Can't be explained. Right. Except just pure evil in the hearts of people. Right. I think it's okay to sit down with our kids and say, mm-hmm. I don't understand why stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the old song says, mm-hmm. many things about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can't understand. Mm-hmm. But I know who holds tomorrow. Yeah. And I know he holds my hand. Mm-hmm. And to let them see us struggle and to go back mm-hmm. to that same solid foundation mm-hmm. and to say, honey, I don't understand the things that are going on in your life. I don't understand the struggles you've had, the choices. I don't understand that. But I know this. I know God brought you here mm-hmm. and God brought you into this family. Yeah, because he's got something he wants to do in your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to keep praying for you until it happens. Yeah, that's good. You see, people can stop you from talking to them about Jesus. That's right. But they can't stop you from talking to Jesus about them. That's right. That's right. That is so They can't stop that. They can't stop that. No. And that's more powerful. That is infinitely more powerful. Way more powerful to talk to Jesus about them than it is talk to them about Jesus. And people say, well, how does election work? Well, it doesn't hurt that God lets you be born right in the middle of the Bible belt and surround you with people that believe the book. (laughs) Right. That's a pretty good sign you're on the list. (laughs) Right. We just need to get you to sign up and we have to get your heart right before we can do that. See, that's why when we had talked about this earlier and you, mm-hmm. you talked about prayer, all this does is boost my confidence in prayer. Mm-hmm. Because I understand that before the foundation of the world, before the first person sinned, God already knew they were going to sin. Yes. He had prepared a plan of salvation before the first person sinned. Right. He had already, Jesus, in his mind, Jesus was already sacrificed. Mm. This is a done deal because mm-hmm. I know what these guys are going to do. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to fail. I know they're going to sin. I know they're going to turn on me and I'm going to make a way of salvation in spite of their sin. That's right. I'm going to make a way and I will bring them to salvation. You know, you see the cycle of the book of Judges where they go. Sin, repentance, revival, sin, repentance, revival. Yep. Yep. God, he's not surprised by that. Right. He's not shocked by that. He is watching his plan mm-hmm. being played out. Mm-hmm. He is continually drawing people to himself. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about praying, you've got all the confidence in the world you need. Mm-hmm. You can hit your knees and say, Father, I already know you are working 
for the salvation of people today. Yes. You've called people to missions. You've given us Bibles. Yeah. You are doing your mighty work all over the world. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to focus the mm-hmm. attention of that work on so and so, on right. this person. Yeah. Please bring them to salvation. Yes. Whatever it takes. Yes. Whatever circumstances need to come into their lives. Mm-hmm. However, you want to use me, mm-hmm. make it happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can be confident because the same Father. And this is what blesses me. The same father who is over salvation is just like the father in Luke 15. Mm-hmm. Every day he goes out to the edge of the property to see if the boy's coming home. Yeah. He's yeah. not concerned about the farm. Right. He's really not all that terribly concerned about the one that stayed because right. he's got his own heart problem we'll have to deal with when <laughs> right. the other one comes home. Right. But he goes to the edge of the property just a little yeah yeah now if my understanding of the parable is correct Mm -hmm. that earthly father Mm -hmm. tells us things about our heavenly father yes absolutely right that's why the same bible that says jacob i've loved esau i've hated and says whosoever will may come also says god's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance let the tension sit there it's fine yeah it's not a problem right God doesn't contradict himself. Mm-hmm. The scripture's true. Both mm-hmm. of those things are true statements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of them talks about his salvation. The other one talks about the side I have to deal with. Right. Right. So I'm going to pray confidently. I'm going to, uh, mm-hmm. uh, J.I. Packer, um, when I was teaching at Crystal, was with us for a, a dinner one night. And I asked him, I said, your book, Evangelism and Sovereignty of God, you say we should promiscuously spread the gospel. <laughs> what do you mean he said uh-huh. oh my goodness rick you don't understand we don't know who god's chosen so what we need to do is just spread it everywhere <laughs> so that cool. people have the opportunity to be saved That's good. i said hmm, uh, i like that i like that A theology too. of salvation yeah that does not stop me from being evangelistic right see that's why Whichever one of our pastors gives an invitation, I know everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Because we're not pressuring people. Yeah. We're not hurting people. Uh-huh. We're just letting them respond to the truth. Uh-huh. And then whether we raise the hand, look at me, did you mean it? Mm-hmm. Did you mean it? Whichever right. way we do it. Right. We're bringing them in here uh-huh. so we can sift out, uh-huh. see what God's doing in these lives. Uh-huh. On a scale of one to 10, where are these people? One, right. I just heard about Jesus. Nine, I am dying to mm-hmm. give myself to him for salvation. Mm. I'll never forget the, the one day that we had a, we've got a great story where they did come back here into the prayer room after the service. And um, he, I think the whole message was more toward stewardship because we were raising money for missions or something. And, but he was here and I'm not right with the Lord. And he came back here with a totally, Tom was so surprised that anybody got saved that day because he wasn't even preaching on, mm-hmm. you know, the cross necessarily right. any more than normal. And it was, um, it was really powerful because this guy was so um, sensitive to and tender and the spirit was working in him in such a big way that it was, it was really a beautiful thing to see. And me not having been a part of that at all, except for being able to be there 
to pray with him at that mm. moment in time. Right. It was very cool. And that is encouraging to think about that in here. And one thing I think when we are, um, and any parent that's listening to this podcast and is concerned about their children, what I, I and I believe this, I obviously Rick has worded it really beautifully that um, God loves our children more. And we always hear more than we do. It's so hard for us to comprehend that, but he does. And I feel like if he's got us in this situation, thinking about these things on our knees, praying for our child in him, then it's because he is intent on saving them. Mm -hmm. And otherwise he wouldn't, it wouldn't be such a burden on my heart. So I think the grace even starts working in the intercessor as it's working in the salvation or the return or whatever it is with our children that's going on. And so, and there are some days in my life as a, as a mom, when obviously every day I love my children, every day I'm praying for them, but there are some days that it's just, um, we can call it heavy or a burden, or it's just on my mind in a really deep way. And I often don't have any idea why on that day it, it felt that way, but I am trying to be sensitive enough to the moving of the spirit to realize something's going on in the heavenlies in their life, something significant. And I'm being invited to do my part to intercede at that time. And, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I don't know. I don't, some of my questions y'all that I gave Rick were really hard ones. Like does our free will override God's desire? And um, if grace is resistible, you know, how does that affect the way we pray? I think we've talked about that some, but sometimes some of the questions aren't even the right ones to be asking. You know, <laughs> They're just diversions from the truth that God yes. wants to flow, yeah. flow for us. And I mean, so. it's obvious. He wants to save people. Yes. He wants, to, he wants to use us in that. That's where the burden comes from. Yeah. Right. When, when you have a burden to pray for somebody, then that is God. Yes. Putting that on your on heart. my heart because he wants to move That's on right. them. He right. intends to do that. Yeah. And we don't understand sometimes that God is using us in ways we don't even understand. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And it's that work that he prepared beforehand for us to do. So he made exactly. us an intercessor or whatever. Then we just do our part. It's just the same as like coming from staff prayer. It's the same as the Guys and gals getting ready for camp. They're doing their part, but we're praying for God to do what we can't. I mean, we can host camp and we could even see decisions being made, but we can't do that miraculous work in their heart. Only God can do that. That's right. And so when we're praying, we're trusting God to do his, and he always does. And so it's the same way, even with being a parent of a child that you're interceding for, you can't change their heart, but you can certainly pray for them. You can certainly invite them for dinner, you know, feed them. They will come, right. whatever, <laughs> and and build relationship with them. Tom and I did a podcast just a few weeks ago where we were talking about five things we'd learned being parents of adults because it's different than when they're children. And a lot of those five things were focused on how to keep that relationship with your adult children strong, regardless of how they're living, you know, and um, we can do that work. But when we pray, the beauty of that is when we realize that God's grace is so tremendous mm -hmm. and your story is such a great illustration of how when God moves, we respond, you and your deacon and seven mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. 
that probably were teaching Sunday school and doing other things in the church, you know, and, but when God moves and we respond and when we know that, then it gives us great confidence when we're praying that it's that God is, God is doing the work. It's not no more pressure on us. You know, a lot of exactly. times we walk under a heavy load mm -hmm. that doesn't belong to us. Right. Yeah. Like we're sitting here and there's electricity running in these walls, but until we yeah. plug into it, that's right. We don't experience it. Right. And prayer is when we, we plug into the power, find out what's going on, get in the flow of God. Yeah. Prayer is aligning my heart with the heart of God. And that way I can see somebody differently. I can hear them differently. As I listen to them, I know how to pray for them better. That's good. And, and to love and encourage them and let God do the work he's wanting to do. That's right. That's good. And trust that he's doing it. Absolutely. Just because he is. Because that's what he does. And that's what he's been doing. And he will keep doing. Always. That's good. That's good. That's a good word about prayer for just our churches too. And understanding that that is. Um, uh, I just, I get real passionate about that too. I mean, when a church is praying, then God's going to align us with his heart and with his purpose for that congregation, for that work and that individual body. And then we can know whatever it is we're doing, that we're leaning into the Lord and inviting him to have his way Absolutely. with us. Absolutely. And, and if we're not praying, what the, what in the world are we doing? <laughs> you know, that's how I feel. <laughs> I'll, tie, I'll tie my part of it with this okay. story. Okay. First baptism as a seminary pastor. We had a revival meeting uh, and I watched, there's this tall, uh, dark skinned fellow over my left. And he comes every night and he's, I mean, literally, I see him gripping the pew. Wow. He's killing him. Wow. And finally, a couple nights into the revival, he comes, takes my hand. I mean, I'm looking up at him like that. And he said, Preacher, Mary back there has been praying for me for over 40 years. And tonight, I can't hang on any longer. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I still That's remember baptizing because it just about dropped him. You know, they, they can't teach you how to leverage <laughs> a six foot four Cherokee Indian, right. you know, in, in, in field education. Oh my but I still remember when he came oh. up out of that water. I mean, he grabbed me with a bear hug oh. and joy that I <laughs> I mean, it gave me hope for the rest of my ministry oh my to goodness. think, boy, just to have a praying wife. Wow. Got this man. Wow. That is so encouraging. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, 64 years old. I can't hold on any longer. I can't hold on any longer. I love it. I love it. That's a great note to end on. So thank you. Thank you, Rick. I want to pray right now to close us out. Father, I just thank you so much that you are a God who loves us and cares and is willing and is on the mission to draw men and women, boys and girls back to yourself. Lord, I, I thank you for this be these beautiful stories of how you've done that in Rick's life and went saved as a pastor and in the life of just this story of this man whose wife had been praying for him for 40 years. Lord, I'm, I've no doubt that there are people listening to this podcast that have been praying for their people for a very long time. 
And God, we just receive this as encouragement straight from your throne of grace to keep on praying, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, ask and keep on asking. And we, you are eager to deliver and you are, you are doing that. And God, I just pray that even right now that um, people that we love, who we long to know you the way we know you are losing their grip on being able to hold out and resist you, Lord, because we invite your irresistible grace to just swallow up all the barriers, all the, all the excuses, all of the lies and deceptions, Lord, remove it all and save our people to the glory of Jesus. And God, it is in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us, Rick. It's been my privilege. Wow. I don't know about you, but it is refreshing to remember that God is way bigger than what we can even begin to imagine. Think about that. God puts the burden on your heart to pray for that person you're praying for because he's eager to answer those prayers for them. And if God's eager to answer the prayers we're praying, let's be praying those prayers. I posted a blog this week on leannemccoy.com that gives you five ways to share Jesus with people who think they already know him. Check that out as you pray for the people you love who don't know the joy of having a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. As always, I thank you for listening to this podcast. You can visit with me online in all of the social media outlets, but on websites at leannemccoy.com and theprayerclinic.com. If you're a prayer leader in your local church and you want to connect with other prayer leaders and tap into some resources that will help energize your prayer ministry and mobilize your people to pray, then come on over to prayerclinic.com and let's get connected with each other. I look forward to talking to you next week on the Leanne McCoy podcast.